America is at a crossroad. Never before have we stumbled so spectacularly on the world stage as we have in recent years. The pandemic has brought many of our biggest issues to light. Homelessness and the mental health crisis have reached epidemic levels. Freedom of speech is under threat. Politics has never been more toxic and corporate greed has reached heartbreaking levels. The climate crisis has brought a dramatic increase in natural disasters. Meanwhile, we stand on the threshold of artificial intelligence, which could serve as the best tool to help us deal with many of these challenges if we can keep the power out of the hands of a few. How do we deal with these many issues by speaking radically, honestly about these challenges and their solutions? By becoming more enlightened to the facts and raising human consciousness, we can use this unprecedented moment in human history to create the most extraordinary advancement in our collective experience. I'm host Shaman Isis. Welcome to Citizen Journalist. Hi, and welcome to Citizen Journalist. I'm your host, Shaman Isis, and I am super excited about our second episode in our premiere season of Citizen Journalist. And by the way, before I get started, thank you so much to everyone who has commented and reached out to me uh, and sent me great notes um, about the show and about the first episode. I truly appreciate it. Uh, I am just as excited, equally excited about episode two of Citizen Journalist. I have Dr. Ben Kaplan here with me today, and we're going to be talking about a topic that is really on a lot of people's lips, cannabis, uh, and the amazing book that uh, Dr. Kaplan has written about cannabis. Hi, Dr. Kaplan. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Shaman. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking before I started recording uh, the history, you know, before we get into the current times right now and what's going on with Bud. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about first. Can you just tell me how did you get into before we get to the history of, of cannabis? How did you get into this? Can I ask? Of course. Yeah. So I'm a normal uh, <laughs> primary care doctor. I'm board certified. I'm licensed. You know, I didn't grow up in some cannabis farm and kind of raise <laughs> cannabis flames up for everybody. Um, I went to traditional schools, um, studied hard, was you know sort of a nerd at heart. Um, but at one point in my primary cast, my primary practice in the suburbs of Boston, patients were telling me that cannabis was helping them. And I knew nothing about it. I grew up in the same kind of brainwashed culture that passed on the idea that cannabis was bad for us, that consuming cannabis meant you're soon going to be a drug dealer or you're soon going to be a prostitute or you're soon going to be, you know, some kind of crazy criminal. Um, and I was afraid of it. You know, I didn't know anything about it, um, but I, I knew to be afraid of it. Um, so I didn't know anything when I was facing these patients and they were telling me, hey, doc, cannabis is helping my headaches or my back pain or my menstrual cramping. Or you know what? These menopause symptoms I'm having are really much better when I'm using cannabis. And I was struck across the table from my patients. I knew nothing about it. So I did the responsible thing. I started learning about it. I developed an expertise and a practice that was built on what patients were teaching me and what the research was was telling us. You know, I, we were talking before we live in these kind of alternative facts world now where some people say one thing and some people say the opposite thing. And kind of all of us are left in this middle ground to try to understand what's real and what's not. Um, so my hope 
um, through this is to develop a sense of what is actually happening, what's true, what's not true. Um, and I'm trying to bring that to the public. That's kind of what I've become as a doctor. Yeah, I love that because that's what makes you such a perfect guest for citizen journalists, because the show really is about can we just get to the facts so that people can actually be aware of the facts and stay away from the hyperbole and the BS that's being uh, agendized, if you will, uh, by interested parties. Um, so uh, that's fair. I love that you did that because I think a lot of uh, I think the public in general kind of struggles these days with with trusting a lot of doctors because they're not willing to, excuse me, challenge themselves in that way. And I think that's brilliant that you cared enough about your patients to actually say, you know, there's something I'm seeing a consistent pattern here. Let me go see what's going on with that. Um, So uh, I I'm fascinated by sort of the, the American history. And you brought that up and I love that you brought that up because I'm a, I'm an an, an eighties historian, if you will. (laughs) Um, I remember the eighties very well. And I remember, you know, my sampling cannabis when I was young and not really understanding how it was different than pills, which were really becoming a thing. Um, I remember every mother having Dexedrine in her kitchen drawer and everyone I knew's mother was taking Dexedrine, which I knew to be at the time, even as a kid, I was like, I'm not sure that's speed. Um, and then I remember it, marijuana being sort of demonized in the eighties, just say no. And it really was treated as the same. And we can touch on the whole categorization of, of it and the category it was included in. Um, but I would love it if you could take us back a little bit to kind of like Americans, America's history with the Flexner report and sort of how herbal medicine got pushed to the side. Sure. I mean, the history, you know, of, of cannabis in the human experiment is age old. I mean, we have archaeological evidence that goes back 12,000 years. Um, cannabis up until the last hundred years has really been a mainstream part of medicine. Um, tincture of cannabis has always been part of, you know, the human medicine cabinet, um, as long as we have recorded history. Um, in the United States, we live in this this uh, business culture, this capitalist system, where if a company can make profits out of it, if they can block other people from succeeding, they're going to try to do that. And it's in their advantage. You know, it's, it's in their um, interests, to push people down and make themselves succeed. I mean, unfortunately, that's the culture we have. Um, as cannabis, um, you know, growing from the earth, uh, this plant doesn't have too many lobbyists. You know, when we look to a government that really runs because lobbied interests push the government toward their um, ideas, cannabis gets left behind. And that's really what's happened um, as the pharmaceutical industry has grown Um as the paper industry, believe it or not, um, you know, back in the 30s, William Randolph Hearst owned um, paper companies that were printed on oak trees. Um, and an invention called the decorticator came about. It looks like one of those old push lawnmowers. And it could mm-hmm. chop up hemp and make paper faster than, you know, could be made from his oak trees. Um, so he had a business interest to push down that part of the hemp industry and make his media orientations successful. Um, so that happened. And, you know, at the time, there were other interests that pushed cannabis aside, namely, you know, political agendas, social racist agendas, unfortunately. Um, and we have now an industry that grew up under prohibition. Cannabis was pushed aside for all kinds of, you know, business, political, social reasons. Um, and we as a people and doctors as, as sort of professionals and leaders lost out. Um, you know, we're starting to discover these days that cannabis has a place 
for helping people, you know, with pain. So think about the opiate epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. We know that cannabis can help people with viruses. So think about the other pandemic epidemic going on, um, COVID and, and, and other viruses, HIV. Um, there's a lot of opportunity where cannabis could have been helpful over the years. Um, but because of the way things are in this country, it's been pushed down. Well, that's interesting. You know, um, for our listeners, uh, in America in particular, we, um, and you bring up some of the most powerful businessmen really kind of (laughs) being able to create this country that they wanted the way they wanted it. And one of the ways in which that was done was, um, by the Flexner report, which I believe was, was financed by Rockefeller. Um, the Flexner report, which was full of, full of, let's just call it fluff, um, demonizing uh, any means of doing medicine that was not based on what they called, they labeled science and real medicine. And they demonized centuries of of basically historical proof that there were other ways to do things. And and I love it when I hear people call herbal medicine um, uh, alternative medicine, because I'm like, actually... The alternative medicines, the pharmaceutical industry, it's kind of backwards, but I get it because in America, uh, once the Flexner Report came out, all of the medical institutions that supported any kind of herbal medicine, uh, which included marijuana, uh, were uh, demonized and shut down. And any institution that supported using pharmaceuticals as the lead, which uh, for the record made companies that use petroleum-based products to support the pharmaceutical industry really rich, um, and, you know, uh, and that that laid the groundwork for Western medicine being built on pharmaceuticals. And I think that's led to, you know, look, I'm not going to completely demonize pharmaceuticals because they have their place. Um, I, I think a lot of them don't <laughs> just personally. Um, but it did lead to a lot of issues in America that we've actually carried on to abroad, uh, including um, serious addiction issues. And, uh, and, and uh, I don't really see the same addiction problems from people I've known that smoked for years. Uh, anyway, no, exactly. for yeah, for our yeah. listeners, I just wanted to give them a little bit of that background. And so when, when, do you, when did that ship start turning? Um, you know, when, I, when... I, I, I think it has always been floating. And, you know, even these days, as listeners think about their perceptions of cannabis, you know, ideas like, oh, there's not enough research come to mind. We've all been, you know, fed these ideas. Um, and doctors especially will tell you, well, it's not randomized controlled trials. There's not enough data that supports those. Um, there's an interesting divide um, in the medical community, which is doctors and healthcare providers of, of all shapes and sizes feel like we stand on solid ground with certain types of evidence. And those certain types of evidence minimize the ingredients so that you get a very microscopic picture about what happens with a, with a medicine and with, a, with an individual. Um, and the field of medicine and pharma extrapolates. They take mathematical statistical extrapolation from one study or group of studies to determine what happens to individuals at a grand scale. Um, But the problem with that formula is the stuff which you extrapolate from those individual studies never applies to one person in front of you. Um, That we average these studies because we're trying to say that a medicine is safe or that the medicine is effective for doing a certain task, but it doesn't apply to the individual in front of you. You know, the individual in front of you might have diabetes, they might be great exercisers or terrible exercisers. And those things impact how medicine works for that individual. Um, So when you turn to plant medicine, you know, plant medicine is like exercise, or like nutrition, or like sleep, 
we're all a little bit different. Those things apply to each of us differently. And those have a big impact in how your life goes, how your health and wellness is. Um, so it's not just what does one medicine do for everybody? It's yeah. how is this, you know, sort of system of, of operating working for one individual who's unique. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a diverse tool uh, uh, that can be utilized for so many different things, at least from what I've seen. Uh, so the history is interesting. Um, uh, I do know that recently, I think the FDA, uh, Biden had asked uh, uh, for the FDA to look into the categorization of marijuana as a class drug that was the same as, <laughs> we'll just call it C and H, because I don't want to get spanked too badly um, uh, by certain outlets. Um and the FDA came back just to, just in, the, in de- December, January of 2024, I think it was January 2024, for those of you who are listening to this in 2027, and said that um, marijuana was not, as far as they could see, it was, should have never been classified the way that it was classified, but basically saying it should have never been demonized and put into a class that scared, I know my generation was absolutely terrified of it because we were told, you know, just say no, it's demonic. Um, and so do you have any thoughts on that, uh, on that yeah. shift? I mean, that is the, that is the, um, political discussion of the day, you know, we're talking about, um, and it's the, the health and human services, sec- health and human services department, um, has recommended to the DEA that cannabis be rescheduled from schedule one, which means it has zero medical applications, no medical value, you know, only potential risk to schedule three which has some medical value. Um, and the HHS has said and publicized just this week, their documentation showing that there is medical value. Um, you know, the, the truth is just like the history discussion, the scheduling system is not scientific. It's a political um, yeah. system. Um, and, you know, the existing structure is a little bit silly. You know, the idea right now, the current law is that cannabis is worse than fentanyl. Um, which is Schedule 2, or cocaine, which is Schedule 2. Um, and the idea that cannabis could be on par with ketamine or steroids still seems a little bit harsh. So there's there's players on both sides of, of this discussion that say, oh, cannabis should be totally free. It should be free for all. There are other people that say, well, it should be regulated in some degrees. We don't want our children consuming this stuff. Um, so the discussion is very much live. Um, you know, I think it's not just what the people want. Um, yeah. The U.S. government as treaties with other countries that bind what we can do with certain medicines, certain drugs. Um, And cannabis has been treated as a drug. So our hands are not totally free in terms of our government. Um, But there's no question that the American people have spoken that, you know, over 90% of people want cannabis to be accessible to anybody who wants it for medicinal reasons. Most people out there, um, I think the numbers are 60 to 70% of people want it to be available for a free adult, if they want to make a decision, they should be able to do what they want with their body. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people don't want the government regulating their choices. Um, but it's still up in the air. It's a very hot topic these days. Well, I, I think that we, that goes back to what you were talking about with lobbying. Um, when you really start to go down the rabbit holes of how, particularly in America, how our world works, and you understand how much of this is about money, and it's about who's controlling our politicians, it's just my personal opinion. Um, when you look at how many of our politicians are financed by big pharma, you understand why there's been such a fight for such a long time to reclassify it and allow people, you know, to utilize it for as a shaman. I really believe in, in plant medicine, holistic medicine. And it's insane to me that we're still having. I remember and I talk about this in my book in the 80s thinking to myself, 
Well, this isn't, it's, I, I, I don't know any kids who get beaten by a stoned parent, but I know plenty that get beaten by a drunk one. And I remember thinking to myself, and I used to tell people, I was like, well, no, by 2000, we'll be done being led around by the nose. I mean, I kept saying that. You thought the same thing too? Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, no, it's I re- silly. Yeah, I thought by 2000, I was like, oh, God, by 2000, we can't, we won't be that dated. And here, you know, there we were, 10, even 10 years ago, I was like, I can't even believe that we're still. But that's right. the financial interest. Um, right. And, and, and on the other, other, on the other hand, you know, if we think about, we are still talking about cannabis and it's been illegal since the seventies. And despite every law against it, despite the cultural stigma saying this is evil, you know, we're still fighting the good fight. And the reason that is the reason it is on the discussion table is because people who have consumed cannabis and found relief and found benefit have fought tooth and nail for it. Um, it's not because of the doctors. They're, you know, largely out of the loop. Um, it's not because of the researchers, because they're a little bit powerless as much as they're trying to push out evidence that shows cannabis is helpful. They're being pushed into the bottom drawer. Um, this is certainly not about the politicians moving the needle because they've been stuck um, on their thumbs for a while. This is really about the people yeah. lobbying their government, you know, writing notes, calling, um, making it clear that they want this to be accessible. Find out what all the fuss is about. Memory Mansion by Shaman Isis is the best-selling self-love memoir that reads like a thriller. Available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Yeah, they really do. Uh, you know, before you and I started filming, I shared my personal story, and and I'm very open. I've written not one but two books sharing my personal journey uh, to consciousness and um. And I thought I would share that with the audience that you could comment on on kind of the the challenges around that and the beauty of that situation. So uh, uh, I I grew up very you know, quite traumatically in an orphanage and on the run from human traffickers, and I kept that very quiet for a really long time. I even used aliases for years, and then eventually I was hiding from my own secrets because I didn't know how to even begin to speak about the things that I had experienced and. Hadn't told anyone. And when I finally realized that I was never going to heal if I if I allowed my secrets to keep me sick, I made a decision to finally speak. Uh, and I and I'm, when I say I've never told anybody almost anything, I really hadn't. So it was very trauma inducing for me to to speak about these things. And I went and got my medical marijuana card. And I remember the conversation because I, he asked me, you know, what were my needs? And I had, I've had multiple, I've like 10 car accidents, several motorcycle accidents. Like I had more than enough, like physical reasons, but I was like, well, you know, and I kind of said it to him and I remember him looking at me, he's like, well, we can't put that one down. And uh, I was like, okay, so basically we're going to stick with one of the many I already on my list that I already have um, as my valid reasons for having a card. And, uh, and that um, uh, experience with, um, with bud weed, whatever you want to call it, was instrumental in helping me through the, particularly the first six months of speaking for the first time um, about the experiences that I had and finally getting all of that toxic, you know, shame out of myself and out there. Um, uh, and so I think it's an incredibly powerful tool that can help a lot of people. What, what, what are your thoughts on that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I'm so glad that you're 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 confident and able to to share that with the world because I think so many other people are in similar predicaments. They're dealing with, you know, maybe not trauma, but maybe terrible stress or maybe difficult sleeping, um, or terrible pain, and they don't know what to do. They're they're approaching their 
clinicians, their healthcare providers, and they're not interested in the same pills over and over, the, the system that's that's supposed to help them is failing them. Um, cannabis has been miraculous for a lot of the patients I've seen. You know, I've had the privilege of overseeing hundreds of thousands of people as a leader in, in my industry. But personally, I've seen, you know, almost 20,000 people with a journey similar to yours where they didn't know anything about cannabis. They gave it a, a try um, and through guidance, through someone learning about them individually and helping guide them with specific products and through failures. Not everybody gets it right. You know, just like anything, we have to learn what works and what doesn't on any given day. And through that guidance, I've seen results that are just astounding. You know, people who never imagined they would, you know, have a gummy or pick up a joint or something. um, Those people, they report their lives being totally changed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here I am like this crazy doctor working on the outside of of normal medicine, and I'm hearing these transformative experiences, how do I screen that information? How do I get that out to the mountaintops? I see, you know, one person at a time, and I can help one person, you know, kind of change their life. But that's where my book came from. I wanted to have this open to people so they could read it, so they could um, check my information, you know, look at the facts that I'm learning from and hear the stories that I'm uh, hearing from my patients. That was the whole story of my book. You know, I, I, yeah. I'm seeing an industry grow up and make a lot of mistakes. You know, there's there's plenty of of um, nutty actors out there who are just trying to make money. There are yeah. other actors who are really trying to succeed and help people. And I'm starting to get a sense of who's who. And I want to share that information. That's really what the Doctor Approved Cannabis Handbook is about. Um, half of my book is about the individual stories and the indiv- individual illnesses. So there's a sleep section, a headache section, a mental health, et cetera. But half of the book is also, how does this stuff fit in traditional medicine? How do I know what a dose is or what, what I'm going to need? Or how do I change that if it's not working out? Um, mm-hmm. The sort of how-to. Um, you know, you can probably tell us, oh, your experience getting a medical card is often very plastic. You know, you're dealing with a, a commercial system. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It was very, there was no like, let's see, should you get some therapy? That was nothing, not part of the conversation. Right. Right. No, that's, and that's what I saw kind of early on that the doctors that I was supervising kind of were checked out. Like they'd either burned out of their old career or they didn't know very much. They weren't challenging themselves to learn more and learn from patients. Um, So I'm trying to create a different model where this is treated as a regular specialty, that this is a very powerful actor in people's lives. And how do we, help people understand how it's good for them individually. Um, And that takes work. That takes, you know, real clinical practice. It really does. Uh, I was fortunate that I I was very like self, uh, self aware for somebody who was very closed up, but uh, it really, I really do give it a lot of credit that in the, the people who stepped in when I finally started to like go, I I need, I need help. I need support. I don't know how to deal with the situation. I had some incredible people come into my uh, life and, and genuinely help, um, help me move through everything and help me blossom and move up the consciousness scale. Um, but I do believe that it was that card and that ability to go to the store and, and test things out and find what worked for me. And in my case, it was, I'm, I don't know if it's because I'm autistic, but I'm the opposite. I have the opposite effect. Uh, so what puts people to sleep, it makes me the other way around. So it took me a little bit to play that. Um, but you know, uh, uh, not only did I lose 80 pounds, 
Um, I'm healthier now than I've been in th- probably 25 years. Even when I was like a little tiny thing, I, mean, I wasn't healthy because I wasn't loving. So I wasn't coming from a place of self-love and really focused on my own renaissance. Um, and I changed my entire diet. And I really feel like that was a very big part of that because it helped, you know, it kept me calmer. And, you know, it was just a really wonderful experience. And so, and and just as somebody who was living in Florida at the time, I watched and met so many people who dealt with chronic pain, who dealt with, there's a, just a laundry list of great stories I have of these people that I watched transform over time as I would run into them again. They became like kids again. It was incredible to see. Right. No, I mean, what you described, I think, is the perfect formula for people. And that's number one, vulnerability, you know, understanding that there's a need that you could meet that you're, you know, something's got to got to move. The second is motivation. You you sought help. You sought someone to get you to that next stage. And then the third is knowledge. You know, where can you find the knowledge to get better? Um, and I'm trying to trying to meet people on those three motivators. Um, you know, you're a success story, I think, because you took the initiative and you had the wherewithal to understand what you needed and, and the motivation to do it. And, you know, you clearly now are a fountain of knowledge spilling over so much that you're sharing it with other people, which I, which is really remarkable. Yeah, it's been great. Writing a, writing about it has been really cathartic. Your book is called um, The Doctor's Approved Handbook. Right, yep, sure do- the it. Doctor Approved Cannabis Handbook. It, it, has it, a, yeah. a long, it has a long subtitle too, um, which is Reverse Disease treat pain and enhance your wellness with medical marijuana and CBD. Mm-hmm. Um, the long title is really just to capture a lot of eyes for people that are looking up different parts of this. Cause as you alluded to, you know, eloquently before cannabis has a lot of different names. People don't understand all the nuance of, nuances of it. And that's the point of this book is to bring all of those different kinds of people together with one voice and help them understand how this stuff is, how it works where it is in our culture, how it fits into their lives. You know, I'm trying to bring it all home. Um, the book is written for everybody to read, not just fancy language, not just doctors. Yeah. Um, everything is simplified. Um, there are charts and diagrams. It's not meant to be necessarily read cover to cover. It's snackable. So someone who wants to read about boiling points and how they can start heating up cannabis and avoid the toxins of smoking can do that easily. Mm-hmm. For someone else who's interested in edibles and they don't want to consume a lot, maybe they don't want to be high ever. How do you do that? Um, so that takes knowing the industry. It takes knowing the products. It takes the ability to help guide someone with step A to step B. And that's what this book is all about. I love that. I think that's incredible. It's such a, it's so nice to see, you know, I'm in New York now and, and <laughs> It's just out. It's you know, it's very open uh, in New York, and it's wonderful to see that we've evolved to a place. I don't think the political systems and the the lobbyists can hold it back at this point. It's moving forward. Where where do you see? Well, before I keep going, where where can people get your book? Uh, um, so it's no, no, thank you. It's everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, of course, number one on most people's list. Um, ben Bella Books is the publisher. Uh, mm-hmm. Penguin Random House is the distributor. So this is going on bookstore shelves across North America. Um, if people want to reach me directly, uh, my website, Kaplan Cannabis, so C-A-P-L-A-N, Cannabis, C-A-N-N-A-B-I-S.com. Um, when in doubt, my name, BenjaminKaplan.com. Um, any of these places will have the book. Um, my, The book doesn't have diagrams and pictures. 
So that website I quoted, kaplancannabis.com, actually is full of free pictures and free education about the book and from topics within the book. Um, so that's a really handy resource for everybody who's wanting to learn more but doesn't want to pay for a book. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, where do you see uh, things like in the sh- just sort of the short-term future and then the long-term future? I'm curious. Yeah. No, that's that's a great question. I think um, I've witnessed the industry shift by leaps and bounds in the last 10 years. You know, 10 years ago, nobody would talk about it openly. Oh, you're interested in cannabis. Who would do something like that? We were all kind of stigmatized. I watched that change where I was hearing from doctors instead of saying, no, 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 don't do that. They were saying, look, I don't know, maybe ask someone else or maybe do a Google search. And that's shifted even in the last three years to doctors reaching out to me and patients are getting a first referral here. I have patients who have, believe it or not, breathing troubles and how do they find cannabis helpful? Um, Side note, they don't smoke. There are plenty of ways to consume cannabis that are not smoking. Other specialists are reaching out. I have a orthopedic surgeon who always refers patients to me because their patients are getting better with cannabis they can avoid opiates. They can avoid, you know, long-term medicines. They have more choices in cannabis that are empowering. You know, we mm-hmm. live in a culture now where you get to be the boss of your own body. It's not just about, you know, which doctor you saw and hopefully you get the right prescription or the right situation. You get to decide what works better for you. And I think we all want that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, sort of a signature of Citizen Journalist is to kind of highlight the biggest challenge with the solution. What do you see as the biggest challenge uh, currently in the industry and the solution or the way forward with that? Yeah, I think I think the biggest problem is knowledge, that there's a huge knowledge gap for the healthcare community, for the medical insurance community, for the individuals out there. You know, people hear good stories. They know that, oh, a friend of mine got you know, some good result out of cannabis and someone else I know is taking CBD and that's working for them. Oh, and I heard Sally's dog is taking CBD and I think that's working for them, but they don't know which website they bought that from or which products are going to work or which products are going to make me high. And many people, Hey, I don't, I don't want to be high or or I don't want to test positive on a drug test. What do I do with all this stuff? There's a lot of questions out there. And those are the questions I'm trying to help people with. That's what my clinical practice is for. That's what this book is for. I work with another company called EO Care that's guiding people and businesses with how to deal with this. Like I'm trying to put myself out there in a way that's educating. Um, So I think knowledge is the biggest resource gap. Um, And I think in the long term, that's always going to be a struggle. You know, we all hear, oh, there's not enough research. And I actually, I think on the one hand, that's not true, that there's plenty of research out there, just doctors aren't reading it and they're not sharing it. But B, there's never going to be enough research because science is about learning. And we always question what we know. We challenge existing status quo and and the norms in our understanding. We're trying to grow as a culture. Um, And ironically, cannabis, as we were talking about before, is the oldest medicine, but I think it's also going to be a part of the future. You know, we're watching around us psychedelics come up and people know about ketamine and they're hearing about LSD and MDMA and all of these things I think are going to be part of the future medicine. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. It's wonderful to see the the world open up. As somebody who I talk about addiction, I definitely had struggles with that throughout my life. It's something that runs in my family. And I think um, uh, that a lot of that has to do with, I think our prisons are honestly filled with people who have unhealed trauma. 
I don't think they're filled with necessarily bad, evil people. I think they're people who who were traumatized, um, did whatever, you know, and um, and and I think it's also filled with people who who got caught in a system that demonized uh, a plant over over things like alcohol and uh, prescription medications. And uh, it's just interesting to see us finally get to that place where we're healing from that. We're learning and we're seeing it as something that's going to be a part of of the medical uh, world in the future. I mean, it's already become such a huge part of it, but I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so important. Education is such a big deal. And, And not only are you educating other doctors and the public, but the industry itself. Uh, yeah, trying a, to. That's incredible. Trying to. I, I mean, you know, you're right. I think the system has been pretty messed up. You know, we have um, right now prison systems that bias who they take on as prisoners based on the shade of their skin, um, and it's it's crazy. Um, and and I think we have this baggage from our our past as as a culture that we need to learn from. We need to change. Um, and like anything, it has to come from the people. So people have to stand up and, and sort of vote with their feet, learn more, um, express to their doctors that they do want their doctors to know about what they find helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And most people these days are finding cannabis helpful. They prefer it to pharmaceutical medicines. Believe it or not, if cannabis were a medicine, it would be the number two medicine on earth behind Humira. Um, it is a massive part of the human experience. Um, it's different for everybody. But it is no less fundamental to what it means to be a human in this culture, in this society, that people want their cannabis. They want it to be available. Some people want to do it for fun because it makes them feel good in a stressful world. Some people do it because, you know, they have trauma or they have pain and they want to have a better choice for that. Everybody's a little bit different, but we all have to come together to change the system that's just old and, and needs revamping. I love that. You know, I, I think one of the gifts of the closures... um which didn't feel like a gift when it was first going on. But I think we always have to look at what happens in our lives as an opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. And I've watched this. I felt it in the collective consciousness, the number of people on the planet that are willing to have the hard conversations, to have the honest conversations and to have their voice be heard has increased exponentially. And that really is the beginning of the seismic change that we're going to see. And we need it because it's AI. And I talk about this a lot. It probably sounds crazy to some people who aren't that familiar with AI, but as AI is really entering our world, we need as many people as possible who are willing to have the hard conversations and to address issues because it can be a very transformative uh, future for us where people can have the medicine that they need without being guilt tripped or, or, you know, treat mistreated and that they can heal from whatever, whatever that is. And that we can implement what is going to be one of the most, it's the new industrial revolution. I think everybody knows that when we can have enough people who are in consciousness and willing to push the, the conversation that needs to take place instead of allowing the big corporations and politicians to make decisions for us that oftentimes turn around and burn us. Um, yeah. With, uh, with respect to um, AI, and where the rubber meets the road, you know, the current AI large language models take information that they gather from all over the world. And they're not really looking at whether it's good information or not good information. It's all information. Um, I have helped build my own large language model, uh, which is taking good cannabis research, clinical experience that I'm filtering and, and, and surveying and bringing that to bear for patients. You know, one of the things that I've done on my career is build the world's largest library of cannabis publications. Oh, wow. That's incredible. 
I put it online for free in a, in a huge Google Drive. But who's reading who's reading scientific journals? Very few yeah. people and most people don't understand it. So I created a large language model, a big librarian that lets people ask a chatbot, how is this cannabis right for me or what what would work for me in cannabis? And the chatbot will look at the library, understand the literature, and then translate an answer in plain English. Um, and the idea there is the information they're getting is not, you know, some hick in, in a mountaintop writing on his computer or not someone who hates cannabis because something bad happened to them once. Yeah. Um, this is randomized controlled trial data. This is good data. This is clinical information, all abstracted to answer someone's real question. That's incredible. I love how this whole interview ended in in some surprise thing about you that I did not know. I think that's amazing. I talk a lot about AI. I do sometimes workshops to help people really understand what how it can be an incredible tool. And it's amazing to me that you've already, of course, you're ahead of the You wrote a book an incredible book on, on uh, a handbook on, on cannabis. So why would it surprise me that you've already got uh, uh, large language models in AI on, on it? I think that's amazing. And I just know someone's going to see this and now be in contact with you to see if they can tap into that resource. Yeah. For, for anybody out there who's interested in connecting um, I'm all over social media at Twitter. I'm at Dr. Kaplan. That's D R C A P L E N on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Benjamin Kaplan. So D R Benjamin Kaplan. Um, if you forget all that, BenjaminKaplan.com is the fastest way to get me. That's Benjamin and C-A-P-L-A-N. Um, I'm thrilled to meet anybody who has questions or wants to share their story. I'm happy to help you individually. Um, it's not hard to reach me. Just reach out. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Kaplan, for coming on and sharing your incredible knowledge and your book. Uh, again, Benjamin Kaplan, you guys.com. That's really the, the main resource, but he's uh, Dr. Kaplan's on all the major social media platforms. And uh, I think he's going to be tra- bla- continue to blaze a trail right through this important issue. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for episode two of uh, Citizen Journalist, where, where we talked about the past, present and future of uh, cannabis uh, in the holistic and medicinal sense and it's sort of future, particularly here in America. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you are, let me grab my book before I forget. Um, oh, where is my book is a question. Oh, that's me making a lot of noise. Uh, if you have not already heard about my book, Memory Mansion, you guys go check it out. Of course, it's going to blur. Uh, Memory Mansion comes out officially February 3rd of 2024, but it's available worldwide. Um, it shares my crazy journey from Tennessee orphanage uh, on the run from human traffickers, falling into being a fashion pioneer and uh, eventually learning to heal all of my trauma and love myself. So if that sounds interesting to you, it is the self-love memoir that reads like a thriller and uh, it's available everywhere. So go check it out. And of course, it's going to keep blurring the cover. If for those of you who are listening, um, you have to go check my book out because the cover of my book is actually the coolest part, I think. Uh, it speaks to the moment in which I opened Memory Mansion uh, and finally began to speak my truth. Uh, everyone should uh, be shameless because our secrets keep us sick. So if that sounds good to you, go check it out online. It's available everywhere. And you can certainly learn more about my work at shamanisis.com. Uh, you guys have an amazing day. Thanks again for watching Citizen Journalist. And if you're not already subscribed, what are you thinking? I mean, this is where the truth lies and the future gets spoken about in beautiful ways. So be sure and subscribe. Anyway, thanks you guys and have a good one. Bye.
America is at a crossroad. Never before have we stumbled so spectacularly on the world stage as we have in recent years. The pandemic has brought many of our biggest issues to light. Homelessness and the mental health crisis have reached epidemic levels. Freedom of speech is under threat. Politics has never been more toxic and corporate greed has reached heartbreaking levels. The climate crisis has brought a dramatic increase in natural disasters. Meanwhile, we stand on the threshold of artificial intelligence, which could serve as the best tool to help us deal with many of these challenges if we can keep the power out of the hands of a few. How do we deal with these many issues? By speaking radically, honestly about these challenges and their solutions by becoming more enlightened to the facts and raising human consciousness, we can use this unprecedented moment in human history to create the most extraordinary advancement in our collective experience. I'm host Shaman Isis. Welcome to Citizen Journalist. 